Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, yeah, my name's Tony Husband. I've been a full-time cartoonist for about 34 years now. I'll show you some of the stuff I do for Private Eye. So this is what I do as, as a regular sort of job. I've been with Private Eye 30 odd years now. Uh, I was kind of joined when Ian Hislop started. And um, I was once being up by, by a gang of skinheads. Um, when I was a, I had a hippie, I was a hippie, long hair. And I started drawing skinheads to get me home back because I'm not a violent person. And sent some ideas to Private Eye, and Private Eye said, yes, we love these. Um, do you fancy doing a strip called it Yobs? So I've been doing this strip for 30-odd years. I got my own back on the skinheads and got paid to do it. So that's one of my cartoons. This is another one. And then this one, this is a silly one. <laughs> and then finally, this, this, the last one is actually a punch cartoon, but it goes down well with barristers and solicitors. So... <clears throat> So this is what I've been doing, this is what I do for a regular job, but about f five, six, seven, we're not sure when, my dad started showing signs of being unwell. He started to forget things. I mean, we all forget things, I forget things. I'm rubbish with names, I leave my keys everywhere, I leave my wallet everywhere, I'm known for it. But there's something, when we're thinking about looking back, my dad sort of did very unusual things, and it's when that time, when, when, when memory becomes something different, when it becomes something more sinister, when, and, and your attitudes change and your thoughts change. Um, so I sat in my studio one day. My dad had passed away about three months later. And when you're involved with something, you don't kind of look at it. You just get through it. And when he passed away, I'm sat in my studio one night and with a bottle of wine, a bottle of red, Terry, and a nice bottle of Rioja. And I start drawing this. That sort of, I was talking to my dad, and we had this conversation with my dad. And he was talking to me. I was talking to him. And... I don't know if it was my dad talking to me or the wine talking to me, but I started drawing what we were talking about. And this was the first drawing I did. <clears throat> so there's my dad sat in his cottage. He lived in an isolated cottage in the, in the hills near Hyde, in, near Manchester. That's his dog, Lossie. Lossie is from um, Lossiemouth in Scotland. My dad had a dog called Charlie, who he absolutely adored. But Charlie was getting very old, so my brother brought Lossie down so they could swap over when Charlie passed away. He'd have another one to take over from Charlie. So, a little Westy, and I started talking to my dad, like off screen, like I was a, a producer or a director of a, of, um, of a film. And I started asking him questions, which are the questions I wanted to ask him, really. And it was, well, do you remember what it was like to have dementia, how, how it started? And my dad laughs and says, what, well, he had dementia, and you're asking, asking me to remember what it was like. And we got on this whimsical sort of conversation, and um, he, he said it started very slowly, it kind of starts and you don't realise it. It's like a toothache that builds and builds. And then I started remembering some of the things he did. He went out in his pyjamas one day. He would leave the door open at the house. He would leave the taps running in the kitchen. And then one day he was president of the local golf club, chairman, president, and he'd won the big tournament. And he had to present the prize to the, to the winner, and it was him, but he totally forgot who it was. And they were shouting to him, Ron, it's you, you daft sod. The, um, it was called Captain Mannering because he had the same mannerisms as Captain Mannering. But he was... Um... So I started thinking this, and then it got to... Um, I'd had a few bottles, of, a few glasses of wine, so I didn't do colour. Um, I stopped doing the colour because I had too much wine. But I started, my dad started saying then to me, can you imagine what it was like to lose memory of everything you've ever had and everybody you've ever loved? And I said, no, Dad, I can't remember that. Um, 
And he said, can you imagine what it was like to lose everything, you know, everything you've ever known? Um, I had these three pieces of paper with me for ages. I came down to London to the Groucho Club with a lot of friends, showed people, and they all said, you should do something with this. It's, it could be very powerful. Um, eventually, I thought, Stephen Fry is a friend of mine, so I emailed Stephen. I said, Stephen, will you look at some drawings I've done about, about my dad? And he said, of course I will. I sent them to him. He rang me up. He said, Tony, I'm in tears. Do you mind if I tweet it? And I said, no, fine. And he said, um, is your, uh, does your system have uh, the ability to take 8 million hits? Because he had 8 million followers. And I said, I don't know, Stephen, but I'll give it a go. So Stephen tweeted it. It did go massive. I've got lots of lovely comments from people from all over the world, and one from a publisher, Constable Robinson. And um, they asked me if I'd like to do a book. Now, with it being a very private, personal story, I had to ask my brothers, my family, because I didn't want to just produce a book and then my brothers then say, well, you know, you should have asked me about this. Um, so I had a chat with my brothers. They all said, well, no, you'll do, we know what you like. We know you won't do anything to hurt dad. So they, they said, go ahead with it. We'll be proud of you, of, of you doing it. So it's called Take Care Son. I'll explain why it's called Take Care Son later on. So that's, again, the image you first saw. This is my dad looking over the valley behind him into the, into the distance. There's Lossie asleep at his feet. There he is again. And it's there, me asking the question, can you remember how it started? My dad laughing because, you know, how do you remember when you had dementia? And uh, he starts laughing, the dog wags its tail because he's laughing. Um, he was very close to Lossie. He absolutely adored Lossie. And I said to him once, Dad, is Lossie a boy or a girl? And he thought for a minute, he said, both, son, both. So I was, with, um, I was with, in, in the room with Lossie one night, with my dad and Lossie, and um, a friend of mine, Mark Riley, who's got his own Radio 6 show, was playing some music, and Lossie was rolling on the floor, scratching his back, and um, I texted Mark, and I said, Mark, I'm, I'm with my dad, we're listening to your music, and the dog's on the floor, and my dad thinks the dog's dancing. So the, the song finished, and Mark said, this is for Tony and his dad and his dog, Lossie, who's dancing to the music. And I thought my dad would really like it, but he, he panicked and because he was looking for cameras in the room. He was saying, how did he know? Has he filmed us? Who's filming us? So that backfired. So anyway, so this is my dad actually sort of stopping thinking, how did it start? It's something that creeps up on you, something that's just there, and slowly you realise that something's happening to you. Um, so we started going back, and this is my dad looking at a picture of my mum and dad. Mum had died of cancer about 16 years before, she did everything for dad. So she was a sort of mum, uh, wife, who would go out in the morning if it was a cold day, start the car so that when my dad got in the car to go to work, it would be all heated up so he'd be happy and just drive off. And like I said, we lived in an isolated, isolated place. So we didn't think my dad would cope. We, just, we thought he'd just, he, but he didn't. He was remarkable. He took up watercolour painting. Um, that's where I get my skills from, basically. There's Lossie with him. He loved painting, he loved doing, he did a Christmas card every year for all the family and all his friends. And it always included the cat and the dog and um, really sweet little cards. This is him playing golf. He loved golf, but he wasn't a great golfer. I don't know if anyone plays golf, but if you want to hit the ball, you hit the ball straight down the fairway. My dad would have to aim over there for the ball to come back here because he had this huge slice. So all the guys playing golf over there would be going, hey, bloody hell, what's he doing? Don't you not do But the ball would go right around and come around and land in the fairway. And, and no one died. Um, that is the cenotaph, the War Memorial Cenotaph in the background, um, which we'll come to in a second. 
He was a member of Probus. He was a member of the War Memorial Society. Um, he was, like I said, he was chairman of the golf club and the president. He was big in business. He worked for GUS uh, mail order catalogues. Got into a high business area. Um, he was a bit of a troubleshooter. He was a bit of a fighter, actually. When he was a kid, he was a, a real fighter because he had very black curly hair like, like Dennis the Menace. So he'd get the mickey taken out of him a lot. So he had to fight. Um, so this is my dad. And that's my dad at the Cenotaph. And I don't know if he thought something was going to happen to him, but he wanted to do something. And he came to me one day, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I want to find the name of every lad who died in the First World War in Hyde and G Cross, which is where we live. That's about 10 miles from Manchester. So I sat, I sat with him and he said, he started doing this job and he worked every night till three or four in the morning. And he managed to find 710 lads who died from Hyde and G Cross. And he managed to get the names, the address, the places where they died, the families, the age and everything about them, every one of them except one. So he got 710 names, but he had 709 details. And he just said, I, I'm not finished. I said, Dad, you, you can't carry on. Obviously, there's no record of this little lad. He said, there will be record. And he said, I will not stop until I find everyone. He said, because that one lad is as important as all the others put together. And I will not have done a job if I don't find it. About three months later, I got a phone call at three in the morning saying, I found him, I found him. And I was going, you found who, Dad? I thought the dog had gone missing. And I said, who? And he said, the lad. He's called, he's called Barry. He's called Barry. And I said, Dad, what lad? And he said, the, the soldier who died in the First World War. He died at, he died at uh, one of the, at Passchendaele. And he knew exactly where and he found him. So we did that. He got the book published. He got all these um, catalogues published. Um, there's one in the Manchester Regiment. There are some in, the, um, in all the libraries in Thameside. And the other thing he did, he got the council to build a memorial garden um, near us on, on Werneth Low, there's a country park. And his, his thoughts were, the cenotaph is on a hill, right at the top of the hill, and all the people, and infirm people, wouldn't be able to get up to the cenotaph to, for, for, for Memorial Day, so he got the council to build a little garden down at the, at the bottom, so that people... So that was the sort of guy he was, he cared, and he, was, he, loved, he loved people and very passionate about that. This is him looking through all the papers, um, all the soldiers, it, it was an amazing task. So as a family, we were really proud. This is my dad playing the piano. He was a boogie-woogie player, brilliant, really, really good blues-boogie-woogie. Blues, he could play all the, um, all the hits, you know, all the Cole Porter stuff and all the old Cockney sing-along songs. He'd always, he'd be in a pub, if there was a piano there, he'd find it and start playing, and no one objected, he was really good. This is my dad with my brothers. Um, four, there's four of us. I'm the good-looking one in the corner there. Um, my dad loved his favourite drink was, um, was a, a, a Guinness shandy. Now, if you go into a pub and ask for a Guinness shandy, they all look at you strange, but I think my dad liked that. He was quite a stubborn bugger. Um, so this is us talking about Manchester United, who are playing today and will win the cup final. Um, music, because we're all music freaks and we all try to think we got the best music. My dad would sit there, would drink his Guinness shandies, and absolutely love the company. This is my dad on the Werner Thlow with Lossie, um, his dog. Lossie would go for three or four hour walks, my dad, because Lossie stopped every blade of grass, every flower to sniff and wee. I don't know where dogs get the wee from. It's like they have a little tank on the back. And, um, but when I took Lossie for walks, he'd come on, Lossie, come on, dragging him along. But my dad would take four hours for a walk. I came up to the house one day, and my dad's looking out the window. He's looking down the valley. And um, I said, are you all right, Dad? He said, no, 
He said, no, I'm not all right. I've not been all right for a while. So he said, can I ask what your name is? And I said, it's Tony. He said, I didn't know your name. So I said, what do you mean you didn't know this? He said, I forgot your name. He said, I've been trying to think who you are when I saw you come in and saw you drive in. He said, I've been sat there. And he said, it happens a lot. He said, he said what's, your, what's your other brother called? I said, well, we've got three. There's Keith, the one who paints and decorates. I said, that's Keith. He said, yeah, Keith was here the other day and I didn't know his name. So he said, there's something happening. There's something changing. So he's, he'd actually realise there was something happening. He would then forget he was playing golf. He would go to the, he'd get a phone call from the golf course. And he said, Ron, you're on the tee, where are you? And he'd just made himself a sandwich and he had his slippers on. So he'd dash up there, always late, miss the comp. He actually dashed up once when he was in a doubles match. He was going out to a meeting. He thought he was going to a meeting. It was a match. So he dashed up to the club and he was wearing his suit and played golf in his suit. They lost the game, which didn't go down well with his partner. But that was... There he is leaving the house, the door always open. Um, sometimes he locked himself out. I remember being on the, I play golf, I was on the green, putting for an eagle, which at my level is really good. I see my, neighbor's, my dad's neighbour's car pull up. My dad jump out, start running across the fairway towards me, shouting, Tony, Tony. And I'm thinking, please, Dad, just let me get this eagle. I won't have this very often. And um, he kept shouting, so I putted before he got there, missed it. Missed the putback, ended up getting a bogey. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I was pissed off. Um, and then he said, I've locked myself out. Have you got any spare keys? I said, yeah, in the locker. He said, well, come on, I can't keep the neighbour waiting. So I had to leave the golf match and go and pick the keys up. Um, there he is with the tap running. We towel the floor eventually because he'd got through so many carpets. And there he is forgetting his own name. I was a bit cheesed off with because the, these are all senior members at the golf course. And they all started laughing when he forgot his name. And I thought, this isn't right initially, but it's also not right that they're laughing at him. And I kind of not forgiven them for that, really. There he is out in Hyde in his pyjama bottoms going shopping. A lady came to him and just said, Ron, what are you doing? So he said, I'm going shopping. So he said, you're wearing your pyjama bottoms. So I got a phone call from him when he got home laughing, saying, oh, you never guess what I did. But it was kind of adding to the list of things that... And there he is. Um, with the thing with... People with dementia is that the short-term memory is awful. They cannot remember what happened yesterday or even today. But the long-term memory is amazing. I went round to Dad's once, and it was late, and he sat there and all huddled up. And I said, "Are you all right, Dad?" He said, "No." And his voice was different. It was very soft, very quiet. And I said, "What is it?" He said, "I want to play football with with Billy." So I said, "Who's Billy?" He said, "He lives across the back. You know Billy." He said, "We play football every day." So he said, I'm in my bedroom, and he said, I'm looking, it was back-to-back -back yards, it was Ardenshaw, a typical northern town. And he said, I'm looking in Billy's yard to see when he's, would he come out and play football. And he said, I saw him come out, and I banged on the window with my football, and he said, and he waved at me. And then he was start being sick, but it was blood. And then his mum came out and took him in. So he said, I ran downstairs to tell my mum, and my mum said, yeah, Billy won't be coming out anymore, love, he's, he's not well. And he said, he died, he died a week later. And apparently he got TB, and my dad started to cry like a little boy. And I had to hold him, and he was crying, and it was, like, awful. Um, but that's the long-term memory. He remembered that, and he went back to that time. This is him in the army. He was in um, Normandy, the third landing, I think, so we didn't see the serious action. I think the only serious action he saw was in, in Paris. And um, I was up there one night, and um, I was with my son, Paul, and he just says, Paris was good, you know. He said, we're stationed in Paris. So I said, right. He said, 
And we used to go in these big houses, me and the lads, and he said, there's all these ladies with no clothes on. And they came up and they said, have you got any francs? And, and they're going, right, Dad, anyway, um, anyway, what should we do now? And he says, oh, the things they could do. And I said, right, Dad, let's, let's change. Dad, let's take Lottie for a walk. Let's go for a Oh, I go for a walk with her because anything. So he'd, he'd, he, didn't, he didn't mind what he said. So this is my dad now getting into the dementia side of it. This is um, Reader's Digest, send out letters to people, and they kind of make it that they know you. So they go, hi, Ron, how are you doing? Um, if you enter this draw, you could win £25,000. My dad would get the letters and get a phone call from him saying, are your Reader's Digest £25,000? He said, I'll go to prison, I'll go to prison. And I'm saying, no, Dad, no, it's, it's a joke, it's a gimmick, forget it, just scrap it. No, I'll, I'll save all the letters for you. So I, I go up and there's, he'd got all the letters, but he'd got bills from way back that he'd paid, it got paid stamped on it. He said, oh, I owe all these people money. And he said, the, the police will be here tomorrow morning, they're coming, I've had a phone call. I said, no, you've not had a phone call from the police. He said, I've had a phone call. And he was also a member of Booper, the, um, the, the, the company he worked for, said that they would, you know, he had a private Booper membership for life. But he, he panicked and said, I'm not, I've, you know, I don't work for them anymore, so they'll take me to prison. I said, no, Dad, that's fine, it's all sorted. No, no, he won't. And we got power of attorney. And, um, but before we got it, I went up one day and he said, it's all right now, I've cancelled Booper. I said, no, Dad, you don't cancel Booper. You, that's wrong, you, you've missed it. And he said, I'm not going to prison. You can go to prison, but I'm not. So we got all these, that was part of the paranoia of it. The other part of it was he didn't trust us as a family. Um, he always had 200 pounds in his wallet for some reason. So you'd see him arrive and I'd look through the window and he'd see wave and then I'd see him put his wallet down the back of the chair so I couldn't pinch it. Um, and then he'd go in and then when he'd leave, you'd see him checking it to make sure he'd not taken any money. Um, he, he was very tight actually. When, he was always been tight, but he, as the dementia got worse, he became even tighter. And um, he said to us one day, he said, We're going to, I'm going to treat you all to a meal at the golf club. And I thought, wow, this is weird. So, so I said, he said, you organise it. So I rang all my family, so 30 or 40 of us, not the family and friends who'd helped. So I said, this is bizarre, but my dad said, you'll treat us all. So we go up to the golf club, all the tables are set up nicely, and he said, where's the wine? So I said, what wine? So he said, I want wine on every table. He said, thank you from me. So put wine on every table. We had a really good night. End of the night, the bill came. I said, dad, there's the bill. He said, what's this? I said, it's the bill. An old age pension, and you're asking me to pay for this? I said, Dad, you offered to pay for it. This is, he said, I'm not paying for the wine. He said, I'm not. He said, and then he went, all right then. And he went in his wallet and took out a fiver and said, there you are, that'll do. And he said, take him from pensioners. So I looked at my brothers with the fiver and said, we're going to have to pay, as always. Um, one day, I went up and his paper was in a real mess. I kind of thought, and I thought, I'll go up one night and just help him. I tidied everything. So I went in, got all the papers out, put them all in order, it took all night. But all night he stood at the door saying, I know what you're doing, you're after everything. I know you, I know your sort. I said, no, Dad, I'm trying to help you. And it was incredibly emotional things. I was going through all the papers and he's there going, I know you, you're trying to get everything. How much have you put in your pocket? And I'm going, Dad, I've put nothing in my pocket. And I left him and I went downstairs and he sat in the television, in the television room watching television. I said, good night, Dad. And he goes, no, you know, I, I hope you're happy now taking everything from me. So I get in the car and I'm all emotional. Next day I go up and go into the office and he's been in the office and tipped all the files out 
throwing them all over the floor, all over everything. And so he got really angry when they'd gone. And, um, and he just said, I told you you wouldn't get anything. And I went, all right, Dad. So I had to start all over again. But this time I did it when he was out. This is the ghost. Um, opposite where we lived in the country, there's a farm. In 1860, a lady was murdered with an axe. I think I found the, I think I found the murder weapon. Um, we tied up the barn to sell it. And down the eaves, I found an axe really pushed down. And I said to my, I said to my dad, I think we've, this is the murder weapon. Why would anybody push an axe down there? And they never found out who did it. So my dad started, he was a bit of a historian, so he started researching the death. And he was in the newspaper and he said, I found this axe. And I thought, you didn't find the axe. But it was fine. But he thought the ghost inhabited the house. So he put his wallet down and it would go missing. And he'd say, my wallet was definitely there. I definitely had my wallet there. So we'd go and we'd have a look around and I'd find it in the, in the microwave of the fridge. I said, Dad, it's here. And he said, oh, it's that bloody ghost. It's real sod. This is us taking us to see Dr. Jolly, who's now Professor Jolly, head of dementia, a real renowned expert in the field. He did give my dad lots of tests, memory tests, um, and he, asked, he did ask my dad, he said, is there anything you, anything you regret, Ron, anything you need to get off your chest? Because he knew where this was going. And my dad said, no, no. He said, well, my temper. He said, I do regret my temper. Uh, he did have a nasty temper. He did just flare up. Um, and then that's the verdict, he got vascular dementia. So this is my dad being told he got vascular dementia, which is when the arteries in the brain clog with calcium and the oxygen can't get to the brain. So this is my dad being told. This is us taking the car off him. Bearing in mind, he lived in the countryside, and the car was at his independence. And he said, what, what are you doing? I said, Dad, we've got to take the car. Um, this guy came to collect it, and he was, got really angry with us, saying, you're trying to deprive me of my freedom, what am I going to do now? He said, it's part of the plan, I know what you're doing. And I said, no, Dad, really, we, we need, you're not safe. And he wasn't safe. Um, he took the he got to put the handbrake on the car one day and the car started to roll down the hill. There were some builders working nearby and I knew one of the builders and they ran after the car, it was going down to the main road and they stopped the car rolling into the main road. Lossie was still in the car. Uh, my son Paul went with him to see a, a doctor, a, a heart surgeon, because he'd got this slight murmur on his heart in Manchester. My dad was driving, they drove to Manchester, drove back 10 miles to Hyde, got into Hyde, my dad goes on the motorway and goes back to Manchester. So Paul said, Grandad, what are you doing? And he said, I've got to see the doctor today. And Paul said, we've been, Grandad. He said, not been, he said, there's a letter. And he said, you're coming with me, have you forgotten? So Paul said, Grandad, no. And it took Paul about five miles before convinced my dad that... Um, that he, he'd been. We got the carers in, they were great. This is my dad telling the carer that, um, that he, he wished he could see more of his family when every one of us was there every day. There was always someone there. And he said, the carer said, is there anything you need, Ron? Anything we can do for you? He said, I'd like to see more of a bloody family. He said, I've not seen them for six years. And it's like, God. But she just winked at me and just said, we, oh, we know what that means. There's his mate, Dave, one of the visitors who took him for the rides out fed him, gave him food, sat with him, had a chat. Um, dad loved Dave, Dave loved my dad, they got on really well. But when Dave had gone, my dad would start ringing me. He, he had my number, I worked from home, so I had a landline, and my dad remembered it. It's the only number he ever remembered. And I, I used to work for the Times every day. I did a cartoon every day for the Times. And the way that worked was you would get 
a phone call from the Times at four o'clock in the afternoon with the subject, it's a Times sport cartoon, it'd be about football, golf, anything. Can you do a cartoon about Tiger Woods or, or Wayne Rooney? So I'd send them four ideas, they would ring back, say, right, we like that one. I'd draw that up, send it over, and by five o'clock it'd be all done and dusted, it'd be in the paper next day. So I'm doing all that stuff, and I get a phone call from my dad. Uh, are we going to the doctors today? Uh, no, we went this morning, Dad. We were there this morning. All oh, right, and then I said, Dad, we're okay. So I put the phone down, and then he'd say, um, he'd ring back again. Have you seen Keith? Not seen Keith for years, you know. So I said, Dad, Keith was dead and working. And then about the fourth or fifth phone call, you get angry, and you slam the phone down. Then you slam the phone down and feel guilty. So then you ring back. So it was a nightmare. Um, when we had the power of attorney, he, we had his phone bill. It was itemised. And in one day, he rang me 80 times. And that's really hard when you're trying to invent stuff all the time. Um, this was a story where one night I got a phone call from him. He said, are they outside your house? I said, who? He said, aliens. He said, they're all around my house. So I said, aliens? He said, yeah. He said, I'm sending them signals with the Venetian blinds. So I said, no, Dad, there's no, no. I actually looked out the window. I said, no, just in case. And um, so I said, no, there's none here. So I went back, he said, well, come up, you've got to come up and see them, it's a wonderful sight. So I go up to the house, my dad's in the back room, the one he was looking out of the, of the window earlier on, and he's doing, sending messages, hello, how are you? Do you want to come in for a cup of tea? Welcome to our planet. And I said, dad, what are you doing? So he said, they're out there. So I had a look, and what it was, across the valley, there was two villages, Charlesworth and Marple, and it was the car lights going from one to the other. And he kept, there's one. Do you want to come in? Hello. But that was, but then we, when I said what it was, he kind of laughed as oh God. But that kind of backfired because well, I got a phone call one, four o'clock in the morning one night, and um, he said, they're outside again. And I said, who, Daddy? The aliens, I can hear them. They're crashing around. I said, Dad, I've told you what it is. It's four o'clock in the morning, and I'll come, in, I'll come first thing, I'll come first thing. So I got first thing, and what I found was that a herd of cows had crashed into his garden. And had gone round the house, they'd knocked the shed down, which was a tough shed. They'd knocked the, all the bird tables down. They'd crumpled all the flowers and the bushes. And he was in this place on his own with his dog. He must have been absolutely terrified. And if he'd let Lossie out, thank God he didn't. Lossie would have been crushed to death. Because cows, when they're in a the bunch, do make a lot of noise. And they were panicking. So then we thought, no, this is getting to a state now. He'd get visitors, people we'd... He didn't know who they were. We didn't know who they were. They'd come and he said, I've had somebody came today and... Um, I said, who was it? He said, I don't know. I thought you'd sent them. I said, no, Dad, I've not sent anyone. Because um, he was very vulnerable. And the, one of the carers went up one day, and there was a guy sat in the room with him talking. And there was someone playing his piano in the front room. And the carer said, oh, hi. I said, are you a friend of Ron's? And he said, no, I've come to buy that caravan. And he had this old touring caravan outside that if you pulled it, it had been there so long, if you pulled it on the, on the, by a car, the axle would have come off. So I said, all oh, right, are you buying that? So his dad said, yeah, he's going to give me 500 pounds. And this guy gets up and says, Barry, come on, hurry up, come on, hurry up. And this little boy runs out the front room. He gets in, go outside, gets in the car. He's about to drive off, and Susan, my dad's neighbour from down the lane, pulls in behind him with some shopping just to run in with it. And this guy gets out of the car, and he's effing and blind it. Susan, move this car, you bloody... So obviously he wasn't, he wasn't a good guy. Um, things did go missing. Um, some paintings went missing, so I presume people like that were coming in. 
Then we had a chip pan fire. We got a phone call from the neighbour. Um, there was a young couple lived in the converted barn that was our barn. And um, she rang and said, we've had to call the fire brigade. And I thought, oh, God, is he all right? Is he all right? He said, yeah, he's with us. Um, no, no harm done, but the kitchen's smoke, you know, lots of fat and everything. He just let the chip pan on. I'd went to him, I went up one day and I could smell smoke. And then I said, I can smell smoke, Dad. He said, and he said, no, oh, no, he said, it's that. And I looked down, he got the convector heater, pushed, turned it onto the floor so it's facing the carpet. And he said, that's it's bloody blowing hot air out. Have you seen it? Have you got one? So I lifted it up and the whole carpet was brown. It had been 10 minutes, half an hour later. Um, this is Dr. Jolly saying, your dad does need 24-7 care now. It's, you know, there's nothing else for it, really. We'd found this, um, this care home in Hyde um, called Hatton Grains, named after Ricky Hatton, the boxer, because Ricky lives in Hyde. And we got him in there. It's called Respite, we thought. We went in with Respite, which is where they look after the people with dementia for a week. It gives you a break. It gives them a break. Um, but our hope was that my dad would settle in there. But we said to my dad, you know, it's like a holiday, Dad. Anyway, this is my dad leaving the cottage for the very last time. He'd been there 60 years. Um, I said, he said, where am I going? So I said, we're just going to, we're just going for a ride, Dad. You're having a bit of a holiday. He said, well, aren't we waiting for your mum? And my mum had died 15 years before. And I said, we'll leave a message for mum, Dad. Don't worry, mum will we'll be all right. He said, I'm not going anywhere without your mum. And I said, no, we'll go, Dad, let's just go. So we get to the care home. And what I didn't, what I knew and we all knew, but he didn't was, they'd have to take Lossie off him. So there's Lossie being taken off my dad. And my dad sort of crying, said, what are you doing? So I said, we're just, I'm taking Lossie away, Dad. And he said, no, you're not taking Lossie. And my memory of that is driving away because the nurse said, take, you take, go now with Lossie. And uh, my dad at the door, banging on the door, crying, saying, Loss, shouting Lossie. Um, Lossie came and stayed with us, so she had a good life eventually. Um, my dad did keep Lossie confined to house, really. He was so frightened of losing her. So the poor dog didn't have any, any freedom. So every time my dad couldn't see Lossie, he'd panic. I took Lossie to, to be groomed one, one time. I came back after a couple of hours with the dog all nice and clean, and my dad ran down the hallway hugging and crying. What have you done with Lossie? I thought you'd stolen him. I said, no, Dad. I'd... So Lossie moved with him with us and was fine and could visit Dad in the care home. This is Dad in the care home. Um, he had a nice room with a garden. They put a picture of who was in the room outside so that people know which room it is. And um, so that's my dad, and then he knew which room it was. We gave him, put pictures of the, of the cottage, the family around, and he, he still asked about the cottage, but he did settle into the care home really quickly, which was great. I mean, he was looked after 24-7. I wasn't getting 80 phone calls a day. We knew he was safe. He had company. Um, he had people looking after him. He found a girlfriend in there, Sylvia. Um, and they came very close. They'd sit together on the chairs and hold hands. And, and the only time my dad got angry was when he went in the, care, in the restroom and there's this other guy who would chat with dementia sat next to her. And my dad went for him. And they're pulling these, trying to pull this guy, this guy off, you know, separating these two blokes, and Sylvie's just sat there. Um, this one, he said to me, he said, um, we go everywhere together. And it was just around the, I love that, because it was just around the little, around the corridors of the care home. Um, this is him with the company, the other people, all characters. This is Madge. You'd go in with my dad, and she was very loud, Madge. She used to run a pub, and she'd go, hey, bloody hell, I'll have you. 
Then I go, are oh, you married? Oh, my bedroom's just there. Oh, come on. So we'd sit there with my dad, and then about 10 minutes later, she'd say, oh, bloody hell, are you married? So repeat the same thing. I said, yeah, imagine married. And, um, and that's George. George, every time we went in, asked for spoons. I started taking spoons in, because he'd come in and say, have you got any spoons? We said, no, George, you've got no bloody, no one's got any spoons in here. It's mad. So then you'd be sat with my dad talking. He said, knock on the door. Hi, George. Got any spoons yet? No, so, so I started taking spoons in until my wife said, can you leave us with some spoons? George must have the biggest collection of spoons in the world. I don't know where. So eventually I started buying these plastic ones. That's how. So I went in and lived with white plastic spoons. I said, got your spoon, George? Well, I've got enough now. And I thought, oh, bloody hell. So, um, but Madge was very loud. My dad was very quiet. And um, so when Madge was talking, we, we had to go into his room because otherwise Madge would just drown us. My brother went in once, sat with my dad and Sylvia, and um, Madge going to ask him, my brother, who oh, are you married? And so I got quite jealous about it, actually, but no, I didn't know. Um, so anyway, so Keith said, come on, dad, let's go in your room. So Keith goes and sits in this room with dad talking, but my dad's really agitated. And he said, what is it, dad? Oh, you're missing your girlfriend, aren't you? And dad goes, I'll have none of that from you. He said, but I'll, I'll let you know there's marriage in the air. So that was what I seriously again. It was really sweet. Um, this is the, um, the geriatric side where people just, when they're older, they, they don't want to be on their own. But it's such a miserable place that, you know, you go in there, there's people just watching television, not watching television. Visitors come and just sit there. The, the, dementia, the dementia side, they love velocity coming, they love children coming. Um, they were so full of energy and fun and, and characters, really. This is my dad could play the piano. He never, ever forgot to play. He could play everything, and um, if, they, if there was a party Christmas, they'd get my dad in, he would start playing, they'd all get up dancing, all sang the words, all knew the words, word for word, even though when the music stopped, they didn't remember who you were, but they could all remember all out the barrel, they'd dance, and George would dance without a spoon. Um, this is my dad in his room. I used to sit in his room with him a lot, and he'd start playing, but he'd play like this really moody sort of, Rick Waitman type music. And I once said to him, I said, Dad, is this your music? And he said, yeah. He said, music gives me freedom. And I thought that was really profound. And there's a film of me. I've got a drum kit in the studio at home. And there's a film of me with an upturned litter bin playing bongos to my dad's boogie woogie. Um, it was the number one. I don't even remember it. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, this is the very last time Dad came to our house. Um, it was Christmas Day. And... Um, We've, he hadn't said a word for weeks. He hadn't said anything to anybody. And we're sat there, there's Paul, Carol, myself. And I've got an album by a band called Low, an American band. And I love them to bits. And they did a Christmas album. And they did a beautiful version of Silent Night. So we're all sat around e eating and Dad not saying anything. We're trying to make small talk. Silent Night comes down. He puts a knife and fork on the side of the plate and starts singing Silent Night word for word. It was so beautiful. He had a really nice voice. He sang the song all the way through. The song finished. He picked up his knife and fork and carried on eating, never said another word. Um, this is my dad taking him. We used to get anxious outside the home, so you take him back, and he felt better inside the place eventually. And, but he would always wave us off at the window. They'd always, the nurses would always take him to the window, and he'd stand there and watch us. He started to get worse. He started to deteriorate. Um, he didn't want to eat, he didn't know how to eat. Um, he would start, you know, he just drank fluids, basically. 
This is him taken to his bed eventually. He was getting very weak. Um, they, but he was, he's having care, full-time care, which was great. We, we were pleased with that, and they were great. We could go any time as well. It wasn't where you had to book a, a time. This was just, you know, just a, an open house, really. And we could, we could even have meals with them. They put us up in a room if we wanted. It was lovely. Um, so eventually, he was just drinking fluids, not solids. And that's him. He went, and then he slipped into this unconscious state type thing. And I would, he'd been like this for about a week, and I'd, I had a deadline to do. Um, I'd doing a book for Anna Summers, and it was called The Karma Sutra, C-A-L-M-E-R. And you can imagine what those drawings were like. And um, so I'm doing the, and I thought, where am I going? I thought, I'll go sit with my dad and draw them. He would hate it. My mum would hate it more, but at least I'll be able to spend a day with my dad, and I can draw these 60 cartoons and get them done. So I'm sat doing all these Karma Sutra cartoons next to my dad. It came dark, and I managed to do, the, do all the book. And um, it went dark, and I said, right, I set off, and I said, right, Dad. I said, I'm going now, Dad, and I gave him a kiss, and I said, bye, I love you, Dad. And they got to the door, and he just said, take care, son. And I just stopped, and I went back and said, Dad? Dad, are you all right? Dad? And, but he'd gone again. It was just like he'd... Um, just a candle flickering back to life and then went. Another funny thing with, with that sort of thing, my dad had a water infection once and he was in hospital. And um, it's just an aside story of this. And in the next bed in the hospital was a Bengali guy with dementia who didn't speak any English. My dad didn't speak any Bengali, but every time we went in, this Bengali guy was very loud and we'd, we'd have to pull the curtain across so we could listen to what my dad was saying. Anyway, one day I went in, and the Bengali guy was fast asleep, so I didn't pull the curtain across. So I'm talking to my dad, and then it's getting to that time when you think, oh, I've got to go, what, what excuse can I make to go? And, um, I just, and then this Bengali guy wakes up and points at my dad. He's going, oh, 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 oh. that's not Bengali, by the way. I'm just making noises. And uh, I said, oh, Dad, this chap wants you. So my dad turned around, he said, yes. And he said, oh, oh, oh. He said Captain Mannering, Dad's army, I loved it. And I said, Captain Manning, wasn't it? So, oh, what's he called that? Sergeant Wilson. Brilliant. Did you see that show? And they started having this conversation in two languages about two different subjects. And I thought, this is, I can go now. So I got up and left, looked back, and they still, and I heard my dad saying, there was an episode, what's the guy from The Butcher? Oh, that's him, what's it? Yeah, Clive Dunn, it was Clive Dunn, wasn't it? And I thought, this is weird, this is, but, so anyway, so this was, this was um, me, the last thing, and that's why the book is called Take Care, Son. This is my dad reminiscing at the, my, I was like, I'm off looking back to life. It was all very scary. Imagine a day when nothing will mean anything to you. Every memory of everything and everyone you love will cherish will be wiped away. Can anything be so cruel? And I say, no, Dad, I don't think it can. Um, my dad passed away at 3.30 in the care home, um, all the family around him, and it was a nice, peaceful passing. And as he passed away in the garden, a blackbird started singing. And it was the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. And it was like his spirit had gone into nature. And, um, and that's my dad. Um, a good-looking guy, very bright guy. Um, but, you know, he left his legacy. And, um, and that's the story of the book, really. And the book itself has now taken us into, to me, to, to hear. And just me sat in my office with a bottle of wine and some paper and a pen and um, it could be a film the people who did the anima um, lupus animation who did the snowman want to make it into a film I've got Elbow who are friends of mine doing the music Chris Eccleston the voiceover 
I did a voiceover with, um, with Chris in the studio on Tottenham Court Road, him doing my voice, me doing my dad's, I'm thinking, God, this is Chris Eccleston. And they, apparently, if it is, does take off, though, they're going to drop me for Michael Gambon, which I can't believe. <laughs> but, so it has, um, it has taken off, it's, but it's touched people, it's used as, um, in care homes, as a guide for carers. It's just one of these stories, I don't know. But um, that's the story of my book, and thank you for listening, and, um, and thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.